This podcast provides audio versions of live webinars. Please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. Welcome to Listen In, a bite-sized bio podcast series allowing you to access the best of bite-sized bio webinars wherever you are. Hello, this is Adam Paulson welcoming you to this webinar which is brought to you by the Bite-sized Bio Science Writer Academy. The Bite-Size Bioscience Writer Academy is the place to come if you're interested in launching a career in science writing. With our Writer Onboarding courses, we'll provide you with all the tools you need to perfect your science prose. We'll walk you through getting started in science writing, writing for the web, creative writing techniques for scientists, and much more. So why not visit us at sciencewriteracademy.bitesizebio.com where you'll find more information about our upcoming webinars and how Bitesize Bio can help kickstart your science writing career. Today's presentation is titled Writing for the Web and is being presented by Dr. Laura Grassi, Content Creation Manager at Bitesize Bio. Laura received her PhD in Molecular Biology from the University of Dundee before moving into the world of science publishing. She has previously worked as an assistant editor for the journal Genome Biology and has held various other roles in science publishing. Her contributions to Bartsize Bio began during her PhD when she started writing articles. She is now the content creation manager at Bartsize Bio where she has the pleasure of interacting with science writers at all levels, from those just beginning their careers to writers who are now well established. As always, we'll have a question and answer session after the presentation. So please type any questions that you have into the questions box, which appears on the bottom panel of your screen, and I'll put them to Laura at the end of the presentation. A link to view the recording of this presentation will be sent to you in due course. So now over to you, Laura, for the presentation. Thanks, Adam, for a wonderful introduction. Today, we're going to be talking about writing for the web. But what are you going to get from this webinar? In short, by the end of this webinar, you should have some tips and tools to help you write online content that actually gets read. After all, the point of any writing is to get read, whether it's a book, a blog, an article or a social media post. To make sure your writing gets read, we'll cover the importance of focusing on the audience, making sure you're adding value to the already vast amount of online content, and how to make sure your writing is actually found by the people who want to read it. What do we mean by writing for the web? So much of the content people consume is now online. So really writing for the web is almost synonymous with just writing in general. Blog posts and social media are included, but because most journal articles are published online and often read on screen, even this now falls under the umbrella of writing for the web. In short, if it's found online and read on a screen, it counts. So whether you're looking to start blogging, want to write news articles, or looking to publish your next paper, this talk should have something for you. Before we get into the nitty gritty, there's an elephant in the room that we need to address that is key to writing content that people want to read, and that it's not about you, it's about your audience. This can be pretty hard to digest as writing is often done alone and in private, but your writing is not about showing off, showcasing your talents, or sharing the entire contents of your brain. It's about the people who are reading it. What do they want? What do they need? And are you giving it to them? So this means that audience is really critical. You need to think about them before you start writing, while writing, and when you're editing or reviewing your content. 
Before you write anything, you need to know who your audience is, what they need and what they're looking for. Knowing these answers will help you get off to a great start. Serve your audience. As I mentioned before, your writing is not about you. It's about the people reading it. And it's really easy to fall into writing what you want to say rather than what people want or need. Sure, you can write whatever you want, but you might find that no one reads your writing. And in fact, no one even finds it because they're not looking for it. People have limited time. And when they choose to read something, it's mostly because it will somehow benefit them. One great way to keep your audience in mind is to focus on solving a problem. What is a problem your audience has? How can your writing help solve this problem or pain point? One thing you can do is create an imaginary audience. It's a great exercise when beginning any piece of writing that can really help you focus on your audience. If you're writing for a very narrow audience, for example, specialists in your particular field, you can create perhaps just one persona. However, if you have a broader audience, it's worthwhile creating several different personas that span the range of your potential readers. This will help ensure your content is focused on your audience and will serve each of them. It might sound a bit crazy, but create little bios for these readers. Give them a name, a job, educational background, even some hobbies, and brainstorm some issues they might have. This is a useful exercise, as if you write regularly for the same audience, you can reuse these personas again and again. If you're writing for a particular site or a journal, this can help you form your audience by thinking about who reads this. When you've created these imaginary readers, you can use them to help shape your writing and check at the end that it actually serves your readers. Right, you've created your audience. Now it's time to use them to help you pick what you're going to write about. Of course, you might already know what you want to write about. For example, if you've got an original research paper, but you can still use your audience to help shape this. But for other content, such as a review paper um, or a blog post, this is a really critical step. You should use your imaginary audience to ask, what problems do they have? How can you help them? And as you're going through forming ideas for content, you can ask, would these people want to read it? If you're writing an article, for example, a review or an original research paper, you can also use your audience to consider which journals to submit it. If your research or review is on a broad topic with big impact, a more general journal might be best. If you're writing on an incredibly niche topic, however, then a specialised journal might be more appropriate. If you're writing other content, such as news articles or blog posts, the same applies. Where is this going to be published? But what do you do if you don't know what your audience is looking for? And also, even if you think you do, this is a pretty good step. And it's time to do research. There are lots of ways to find out what problems people have and are actively looking for help on. For example, just think about your own experiences. Perhaps there was a problem you faced and had to overcome, like optimize an experiment. And now you've got a solution to that. If you share space with people who would fall into your audience, Listen to what they are saying. If you're in a lab, perhaps the new starts always need help with X. Or at a conference, listen to the people around you. If you're writing for a general non-scientific audience, listen to your non-scientist friends and family. You can also do a lot of research online, and I would highly recommend this. 
search engines like Google are a great place. Search a keyword around what you're thinking of writing about, and you'll often get people also ask, <clears throat> as shown on screen. This provides you with a list of common questions that people type into Google surrounding this particular topic. So you know that these are questions that people want answers to. There's also lots of keyword tools that you can get that do a similar thing. But when you do your research as well, look at the other things that are coming up in the Google search. Use those to help shape it as well. Another great place to look is online communities. These can really help you refine what people are looking for. Pay attention to questions or comments on places like Reddit, Twitter, or TikTok, or browse the forums. Basically, online, go to where your audience is and listen to them. As a slight segue, I just want to touch on how this research really benefits in another way by helping get your article found. One of the big problems with writing online is there are trillions literally trillions of pages on the internet. So if you want your content to be read, which is what content needs to and is there for, um, you need to make sure that it's found and clicked on. The most likely way someone will find your content is through a search engine, but you will only be found if people are looking for information on that topic. Therefore, doing the research that I said in the previous slide on what your audience is looking for and specifically for what they are typing into search engines can help making sure your content is get found. Because if you write a really great piece on something that is going to help people or really solve pain problems for people, but it's not going to be found, it's still pretty much useless. We also can't discuss getting your article found via search engines without touching on the topic of SEO. If you've never heard of SEO or you have, but it sounds scary, don't panic. It's not as bad as you think. When someone types in a phrase, question or keyword into a search engine, that search engine needs to be able to select the most appropriate content from the trillions of pages online. To do this, they have a special algorithm that helps decide if a page or piece of content is relevant to the search. One way you can show a search engine that your page is relevant is to use the phrases or keywords you can see people are using in your title, your headings, and your text to help your content appear on search results. <clears throat> For this to be effective, there are a few things you need to think about. You need to do keyword research. You can use Google Trends to compare different keywords to see which one is searched for more. And the people also ask function that we discussed earlier is a good way to pull out keywords people use as well. But also search several different keywords that you can think of relating to your topic and see what search engines are showing. Is the content they're showing similar to what you're going to be talking about? Sometimes you can get a bit of surprise and the search pulls up content that's definitely not on the topic that you're thinking of, in which case you might want to think of a different keyword to focus on. Uh, this can be especially true for abbreviations. Use multiple related keywords in your article. People might be searching using a different keyword, so make sure you include variants of it. Perhaps a phrase can be said in several different ways, or there are different names for the same technique. Make sure you're also looking at the content that is already ranking for that phrase. Do they include information you don't? Should you include it? Also, consider if your article is adding anything new. If your content is just rehashing what other people have on the web and it already existed, why are you writing it? You should be giving something new 
perhaps some additional additional tips, some personal experience, or perhaps it is the same content, but it's written in a much better, clear, concise way and pulling information from lots of different sources. Also, you can use questions people are asking as headings. Again, the people also ask, ask function is a great way to find out the sorts of questions people are asking and can help ensure your content is serving your audience. Now, all of this comes with a caveat. I've got a big, big word of caution when thinking about SEO. You really, really want to not over-optimize any content you create. You are or should be writing for your audience, not for a search engine. Yes, you want your content to be get found, but the reason you want it to get found is because you want your audience to read it. And if you optimize it so much that it works for a search engine, but not for your audience, you're kind of falling short of that. Because over-optimization over can turn a good article into a bad one and make it difficult for your readers to follow or make it just plain boring to read. But also search engine algorithms are being constantly refined and updated. And they try to ensure that the content that is best for the user is what comes up top. So focus on writing good audience-focused content and follow the tips above and you should be fine. Okay, now we've done the segue, let's go back to the main point of writing your content. You've got your audience and now you've got your topic in terms of what your audience needs to know. It's time to start writing. But while you write, you need to keep your audience in mind. Remember that they are reading your content because they want to solve a problem, understand how X works, help figure out why Y is not working, want to understand how something works. They want to know that your content will give them that early on. And they want to not have to spend time wading through your inner thoughts to get that solution. That's why it's important to have an appealing title. You also need to put the punchline first, be clear and concise, Avoid being overly clever, use headings and include a summary as well as mixing up your media. We're going to look at each of these points in detail next. Make your title appealing. No matter what you are writing, the title is likely the first thing people will read, whether they find your article in a search engine, in a magazine or on PubMed. If your title isn't clear and concise, then people won't click to read the content and your writing has failed on the first hurdle. It can be really tempting to be witty and clever with your titles. And while getting your personality into your writing is good, if it doesn't help readers understand what they're going to get, it's not much use. Use the title to show people what they're going to get in as few words as possible. As I've said, make it clear, avoid unnecessary jargon, don't make it too clever, and keep it short and simple. Let's take a look at some examples here. How do buffers work? This is a question that from research that from research people are asking in search engines. So this will help the article get found. It's short and simple and gives a clear idea of what the article is about. One way we could improve this title is to make the benefit to the reader clearer. Why does it matter how buffers work? However, the short and simpleness makes this a good title. How using oil immersion microscopy can increase your resolution. This is a longer title, but it clearly states what it's about, oil immersion microscopy, and the benefit to the reader, improving resolution. 
11 Reasons Why Your Plasma's Yield is Low. This title is short and clear. It's going to help with the problem of low plasmid yield by giving 11 reasons why the yield could be low. We could, however, improve it by adding and easy fixes to the title. And that way, you know that you're also going to get solutions. Surviving the big chill, freezing and thawing mammalian cells in the lab. This title could do with a bit of improvement. The first phrase is trying to be clever and doesn't really help the reader understand why, what the article is about or why they should read it. Removing this first bit helps make it a bit clearer. Freezing and thawing mammalian cells in the lab. But we can still improve it. Maybe change it to keeping mammalian cells alive during freezing and thawing in the lab or freezing and thawing cell cultures without killing them. Put the punchline first. The first paragraph of your writing is where you can hook your readers. It's also where you can completely lose them. You need to use this first paragraph to show your readers why they need to read your writing. And as people are inherently selfish, they want to know what they are going to get. I often find when reviewing my work or those of others that I can generally delete the first paragraph as it doesn't help the reader know what they're getting or solve the problem. Use this first paragraph wisely and state the problem you're trying to solve or show the benefit to the reader and tell the reader how the article or content will do this. Let's take a look at an example paragraph. The benefit to the reader is in green and tells the reader, read this article to get better ligations. And it also states how the article will do that in blue. Explain how ligation works and give you tips for optimizing. You can test your first paragraph by reading it in isolation and thinking, will my readers know what they're getting from reading this article and how? If the answer is no, you might need to work on it a bit. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Listen In from Bite Size Bio. To access the visuals of this webinar, please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. Be clear and concise. The next tip is to make sure your writing is very clear and concise. It's fine to go with the flow when you're writing and just put all the words in your head onto paper, but then you need to review and be brutal. As you're reading back your work, think, is this text helpful to my readers? Sometimes a nice, short story or anecdote is useful. It can help engage your readers and help them see you as someone who gets it. However, if half of your writing is your life story, then you might just turn your readers away. Check that you're not waffling. And if you are, you need to cut it out. If you're reading a sentence or a paragraph that you think is, wow, this is nice, but it doesn't actually add much for the reader, cut it. It can be hard, upsetting, and sometimes downright painful, but it has to be done. If you find you have to delete lots of text you like because it doesn't serve your audience. If you really can't bear to delete it, you can keep a document and put your text like this in it. You never know, it might be useful in the future, but you can't get your ego or desires get in the way of writing clear, concise, audience-focused content. Remember, simple beats clever. Imagine you're in the zone, your writing is flowing and you can't seem to stop the elegant flow of wit pouring out of you. You're so impressed by your command of language that surely any reader will instantly tell how wonderful and clever you are. Just look at you, how you managed to include, insert fancy sounding word here, in that sentence. Time for a reality check. Witty, clever writing doesn't always serve your audience. In fact, often it doesn't at all. If they need to refer to a dictionary every sentence, then you've not done your job and have probably lost them. Simple, clear writing beats clever, witty text. 
remember what we said earlier, your writing is not about you. It's about your audience. So again, write the wit, but then review. And if it's not working, cut it out. It's also worth thinking about your audience in terms of reading comprehension. Perhaps your target audience includes people with a low reading age, for example, children, or those who are not fluent in the language that you're writing in. Non-native speakers in particular may find witty remarks or slang confusing. So think about your audience. And if you know you will likely have non-native speakers, which on the internet is fairly likely, you need to be extra careful to make sure your text is clear and concise and not too clever. Use headings. People scan rather than read every word of an article. But this means that headings can be incredibly powerful. They help get, they help readers get an overview of a piece of content without reading the entire text and can help them decide whether to invest the time into reading it or to look elsewhere. As I've said, people read online content by scanning rather than reading every single word on the page. Perhaps your reader doesn't need to know everything in your article or content, but just one thing, if you have clear headings, they can easily find the part they want to know and get their info. Without clear headings, they won't be able to find this information so clearly and therefore may decide not to read it at all. Use a lot of headings, but use them wisely. Again, they should be clear and concise. Cryptic headings are even less useful than no headings as it can frustrate and confuse the reader. A heading should make it clear what the next section is about. Using questions is a great way to do this. If they're answered in the text below, avoid using clickbait headings where you ask questions that you don't address below. This is only going to infuriate your readers and put them off reading that content or anything else you produce. Headings are also looked at by search engines. So questions and keywords are good to include here. But remember, the golden rule to write your, for your audience and not for the search engine. Mix up your media. I've already highlighted that people scan articles and therefore headings are important. One reason for headings is to help break up the text and make it easier for readers to find the information they need. Another key way to do this is to include different types of media and text in your content. This also helps to break up the potential wall of text, which can be incredibly daunting to read and difficult to navigate when reading on screen. It also helps tackle another issue, that people learn differently. Some people find reading text is the easiest, but other prefer information laid out in an orderly table or through a diagram or picture. But don't force information into a format that doesn't work. What you need to do here is when you're writing, keep an eye out for how you can mix up your information and present it in different ways. Perhaps you can write something in a table instead of in lots of paragraphs or to serve your audience the best, especially if it's going to be made up of a broad range of people, do both. Write it out in the paragraph, but also put it into a table format. Perhaps you can even put it in a figure or an image as well. Another great way is not just to use figures and tables, but also vary the text that you use. So yes, have paragraphs, but break up these paragraphs into smaller chunks as well, so they're easier for people to digest. 
it's also worth thinking about how this looks on screens to people. Are people going to be reading your content on a computer screen or are they going to be printing it off or are they going to be reading it on a phone? Um, and that way you can think about how much text to have in one particular space. Perhaps you need much shorter paragraphs than you think. It's also worth using things like bullet points and numbered lists. This is a great way to break up your text, make it more visually appealing, but also allow people to find information in a much easier way. And as I said, it's a lot less daunting to look at a content that is broken up with headings, figures, bullet points and tables than it is just one giant wall of text. Summarize. This is a really critical thing to do. At the end of an article or content, have a section where you basically summarize everything that you've just said in a couple of sentences. Uh, so often this is known on the internet as a TLDR, too long, didn't read. And this is a really great way, again, because of the way people digest online content. They scan it. A summary paragraph at the end can provide a section for readers who have a particularly short, short attention span and just want the answers. They can get it straight away. But also it can be reassuring for people if they scan an article first before they decide to commit to reading the whole thing. They might say, oh, yeah, that summary shows me that I'm going to get what I want, but I want a bit more detail. So I'm going to go back and read this through or perhaps like, yeah, that's the bit I want. I just want to know that one thing that they've mentioned the summary. So let's find that section in the article. And then this is where the headings, the figures laying out your article really nicely helps because people can go back and navigate exactly to the bit they want and find the content, which it's going to be great because you're giving people what they need. Your content is getting read, but it also builds up a great amount of rapport between you and your reader, which means that they're going to start to trust you. If you are writing regularly, that is going to be really beneficial to you. But it's not just for those readers that scan. Even readers that just read the text from top to bottom, it can really help them consolidate the information that they got. And also... It's a great tool when writing because it helps you focus on the main point. If that summary doesn't solve the problem you set out to solve, then you really need to go back through your writing and think, okay, I've not addressed this properly. I need to do some changes and make sure that you are giving a benefit to your reader as well. The summary paragraph really should make it very clear what the benefit to the reader is from this content. And again, if you're a bit confused or it's not seeming right, it's a good indication that you need to go back and reconsider what you've put in it and maybe need to clarify some things, add some new content, or possibly cut a lot as well. So that's pretty much everything that I talked about. This is just a whirlwind tour of how to write for the web. There's a lot of this stuff that you can go into a lot more detail, um, but this is just to help you get a good grounding to get started. So in a nutshell, you really need to know your audience. Making the, as crazy as it sounds, making those personas is really an important way to help focus you on the people that are going to be reading your content rather than focusing just on yourself writing it. Knowing those people um, and making sure that you are delivering to them by serving to them uh, really helps your content to be the best it can be. Um, and also making sure you're serving them rather than the search engine. Yes, your article you want your article to be found, but it still primarily needs to be it written in a way that is appealing, engaging, and readable to your audience. 
I've already highlighted, but I can't highlight enough the the importance of doing your research. And this applies just as much to writing original articles. I mean, at the end of the day, we do that anyway. We spend time doing uh, literature reviews or reviewing the literature to know what else people have published. And so that's exactly the same, putting it in the context of what else uh, people have published is important, knowing what else is out there, but also knowing the holes, especially if you're thinking about, for example, writing a review article, you can identify the gaps in the knowledge. There's no point rehashing the same information that's already out there in a very digestible format for people. You want to make sure that your content is adding value. And that's one way you can do this by doing your research and noticing, oh, actually, there's like millions of websites that address this exact point in a really easy, concise way that's accessible to the readers. If I write something on this, I, I don't see how I'm benefiting them. Whereas if you research another topic, you might like, oh, why is no one giving me this answer? Sometimes that can be a really good way. A question that you want an answer to and you can't find the answer easily is a good indication that there is a knowledge gap that you can fill. I've stressed the point of, of heading several times, but they really do help readers. They also help you as a writer focus your content. Um, so again, a great tool. And it it really adds to keep it short and simple. It can be quite painful sometimes to cut. I mean, for my own work, I've definitely sometimes cut up to half of the amount of writing that I've written, if not more. And it can be painful because you feel like you love every one of those words that you've written and oh, you've added this great paragraph that sounds great, um, but you've realized actually readers aren't going to find it quite as interesting as you have. Um, so yeah, definitely keep it short and simple. And as I already stressed, added value. There's no point writing content that just goes into a sea of content that is exactly the same as what everyone else has written. Thank you for listening and taking the time today to listen to this webinar. And I really hope that you found it useful. Um, we've now got a short Q&A session. Um, please type any questions that you have into the questions box and I will try and answer as many of them uh, as possible. As I said, I've not covered everything that we could talk about today. So please do ask questions um, that I haven't covered and I will try and answer them if I can. Um, but I hope it's been enough uh, to get you started. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. That was an excellent presentation. Very clear. Um, uh, uh, and as Laura said, um, uh, uh, we have a few uh, we have a few questions from the audience. If anyone else has a question, please uh, feel free to post it into the question box, uh, which you can access from the bottom panel of your screen. Uh, so um, the first question, Laura, uh, you touched upon uh, the SEO search engine optimization and the importance of getting your article found. Do you have any additional tips for ensuring that your article ranks on search engines? Uh, yeah, so we could talk um, all day. In fact, we could do <clears throat> hours and hours uh, of a presentation on um, SEO and how to get your article found. There is lots of information out there online, so I'd recommend having a search and having a look for tips um, about there. Another one is Google actually publishes uh, rater guidelines. So if you if you Google uh, Google search engine rater guidelines, um, it's about 170 pages <laughs> of information of how to um, basically what Google looks at in pages, and it's a great starting point um, maybe to skim it just get an idea there's nice contents to kind of skim to give an idea and you can delve into the the other bits as you go and that can give you a lot of information on how to get your your writing found um, but I think the biggest tip is not to 
not to focus too heavily on on the SEO. Yes, it is important. Yes, you need to get your article ranked, but you have to remember not to sacrifice uh, the quality and the readership for for that SEO. So I'd say, yeah, do some research um, and look um, online and do check out Google's guidelines. Okay, thank you. Um, the next question, um, uh, you mentioned keyword research. Uh, can you tell us uh, more about how you undertake uh, keyword research? I touched yeah. on that. Yeah, so there's lots of ways to do uh, keyword research. Again, um, there's lots of information online if you just Google keyword research, and there's also lots of tools and plugins. So there's plugins that you can get so that when you go into search engines, they can give you the metrics and give you things like related keywords um, to the search that you're doing. So it gives you an idea of what other things people are searching for. It can even give you metrics for like how many times those um, keywords are being searched for per month. And also like the cost per click, which is um, how much people would pay for those. And it gives you an idea of a competition. So if something's like quite expensive, it probably means that um, the top ones are probably, you know, going to be quite difficult to rank for there. But there's lots of plugins that you can do. Um, and there's lots of programs online as well that you can get that can help you with keyword research. Some of them are free. Some of them have free trials. Um, some of them are like pay per search. And some of them are subscription based. So I'd, I'd recommend just checking out and maybe trying one or two and see one that works for you. Okay, thanks, uh, Laura. Um, uh, we have a question about, uh, you, you mentioned about mixing up media and images. Uh, so uh, this question is from Mahidi, uh, who asks, uh, using pics sometimes is a difficult decision. A high resolution picture may take time to be loaded uh, on the device and can cause lag for loading the whole page. On the other hand, many audiences search uh, images and a high resolution image can lead them to a website. How do you make a decision on this? Um, yes, yeah, so loading times actually is a really important thing to consider um, and is something that search engines consider when they're looking at your page and having a high lag um, can mark you down. So definitely I would consider making sure that your uh, images are not overly um, high resolution because um, quite often what you find is the resolution that you get on some images is because that's the resolution, the high resolution it would need to, for it to be printed. Um, but you do not need that for people to read on screen. As long as the resolution is clear enough that people can see the image well and get the information from it, um, try and keep the, the resolution low. Again, there's lots of tools online that can help. And, and there's lots of like AI software and other tools that can um, decrease the resolution of an image while still keeping it clear as possible. But yeah, I would say just check the image for yourself or you upload it. Try and get the resolution as low as possible while it still looks good enough to a reader. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, in the in the previous question, you were talking about keyword research. We had a follow up question, just wondering, uh, can you mention any of the plugins? Yeah, sure. The the one that I like, for example, that I use is called Keywords uh, Everywhere, and it's one that just plugs into your browser and will show you on search engines. But as I said, there is it. That's just the one that I use and like. But there is many, many other ones. Just googling um, just keyword Google, plugins, yeah. you can find loads. And again, different prices uh, work with different search engines, and you can find one you like. Okay, thank you. Uh, so the next question is from Ella, who asks, uh, "How do you avoid?" Uh, swirling writing the writing does not flow well and difficult to go to reach the target or objective yeah so this is actually um fairly common for people especially early on in the writing is j just to kind of like 
almost word vomit is the way I call it, is that you just kind of write what comes out of your brain in, in no particular order. And this is where I would say um, two, two ways that you can tackle this and they work simultaneously or, or they, they can be worked on, on the same piece. The first is to structure, have a think about before you write, um, actually just write the headings first and, and try and create that structure before you start writing. Um, and that can help make sure that you're not going off on on strange tangents. The other thing is to allow those tangents to happen. And then when you come back and um, it's always worthwhile writing, leaving it for a, a day, a few days and then coming back to it. Um, that's when the, the the editing starts and you really start to like cut things out. And it's a lot easier to kind of review your work when you've had some distance from it and you can see yeah, actually, this isn't good. And and having that like outline or, or or that sketch of what you want your audience to get from this can be really useful. And again, that audience can come in there. And um, if you're finding that you're jumping uh, to and from things, you can maybe even draw a little diagram of, of of the flow that you would like for an article to go. And if you if you look at your article and see it's jumping here and there and everywhere, just literally cut and paste pieces and move them move them around. Sometimes I even prefer to do this like physically so I'll print out a piece of work and I'll literally cut the paragraphs <laughs> into pieces because I find that easier to do than on the screen and I will just rearrange them that way until it's a more orderly flow um, but yeah again I would say you can help yourself before you start writing by creating a nice structure with the headings that you want to cover and then the editing phase and if you're still struggling with this the best thing to do is to give it to someone else to edit and review and Sometimes someone else can be a bit more brutal to your work. It can be painful, so be nice to them. Uh, don't get upset if they do <laughs> uh, take a lot of red pen to it, but um, getting someone else's perspective can really help. Mm, okay, thank you. Um, so we've had a couple of questions about the length of writing. Uh, so word count for a, a web article, one in particular from Antonino. Yeah, so um, it's... <laughs> How long is a piece of string, really? Um, when it comes to writing, there, some SEO guidelines will say that search engines are looking for a specific length. And if you're writing on X topic, then it needs to be these lengths of words. And you'll find if you use plugins or tools, they might recommend a certain word length. But really, I think it comes down to thinking again about your audience. So you want to write what you're trying to get across in as few words as possible. And as long as you're meeting that, then you work should be fine um too short is definitely a problem if you're finding that you're you're writing um content that's only say three four hundred words there might not be enough content there for a search engine to decide if it's rankable um but in that case a good question is thinking about why you're writing such short content maybe it should be part of a larger piece of content with with related topics um but i would say as long as you have an idea in mind of what it is you're trying to get across and you're getting that across and without too much superfluous text, then you're probably fine. Okay. Uh, so another question from Amisha is, is uh, uh, where do you start if you're a beginner? And, uh, you know, what is the eligibility? eligibility? Do you, is it only if you're a researcher? What are your thoughts on writing for the web that, from that aspect? Um, yeah, so in terms of, of writing, uh, where to start as a beginner writing, the best way to start is to write. Um, the more you write, the better you'll get. And there are lots of opportunities out there to write on the web. From you can start up your own blog. There's loads of sites that have uh, guest authors, Bite Those Bio is one of them. 
Um, and it really depends in, in terms of whether or not you need to be a researcher, um, then that depends on where you're submitting your work, um, have a look at the requirements and what kind of writing that you want to do. Maybe you want to uh, write for a really general audience, like a news site, in which case they might not have requirements like that. Um, other sites might have requirements. So again, uh, if you're looking and think about writing somewhere particular, um, then find out what they ask for. Um, you can email them if if you're not sure, um, or they might have guidelines online. Um, but otherwise, there's plenty of ways to write, even without um, going to a site, even even if it's not necessarily going to be found like on a blog post, just the act of writing will make you better. The more you do it, um, our, the founder of Bite Says Bio, Nick, he made a dedicated effort to write every single day. When he started out, it was his goal. It didn't matter what it was. He wrote one article every single day. And he found that as a really powerful way of improving himself and um, finding what works and what didn't work. Sometimes as well that you just have to put it out there and, and see what works. And um, for Bite Size Bio, um, we obviously have people write for us. Um, we look for people who have expertise in a particular area that they have information that they wish to share. If you would like to consider writing for us, um, you can contact us on the website um, and send us a suggestion of what you'd like to write about and why um, people should listen to the writing from you. So what, what is your expertise? Have you worked on a technique for a long time? Um, and quite often it's people that have been in the lab that have been doing their technique for a while. Um, but if that's something you want to consider, yeah, just get in touch. Okay, some great advice there. Thank you. Um, I think we've got uh, one more question. Uh, oh, hang on. Uh, yeah, so um, quite often in, um, uh, yes, so, sorry, so the question is, uh, I would like to ask what uh, is the income for web writing? Again, that's a really mixed bucket. It completely depends on what you're, you're writing, where you're submitting it. Um, Quite often people, when they become science writers, become freelance writers. Um, and again, it depends the sort of content. It could be news articles. Um, it could be writing marketing content for life science companies. Um, it could be writing for blogs. It could be writing educational content on the web. So it, um, it really depends where it is you're submitting it, whether or not you're a freelancer or you're um, in a salaried position, for example, uh, institutions like universities and things like that may have dedicated people that write the content on their sites. And again, life science companies do. And the amount that you get paid is 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 very varied um, depending on those things. But um, you can make a decent living out of it. Okay, thank you. So I think we've got one more question. Uh, quite often in online articles, uh, we see links to other content. How do you decide uh, how to link to other content uh, within your, your your content. Yeah, so thinking about linking to other content is really important. Um, there's a few things that you need to consider is um, it can be a great way if you aren't going to cover a particular topic is you can link to something that explains that better. Perhaps um, there is a great video on YouTube that shows or demonstrates something. You can link to that um, or you can link to something that gives a more detailed explanation if that's not something that you're willing to cover because it would mean you go into too many details. Um, but one thing that you want to consider is the quality of the source that you're linking to, making sure that it's valuable to your readers, that it is worthwhile to them to click on. And also consider the fact that every link that you add is a way for the reader to 
escape your work. <laughs> Sounds like you're trying to keep them trapped there, but every every link that you give them is an opportunity for them to move away and, and find somewhere else. And what mm. you can often find happens is that when people leave your content, they don't come back to it. Um, so use links wisely. It is definitely a great tool to provide more content and more value to your readers. It's especially useful to linking to other content that you might have um, that is valuable, but really do consider every link and think, is this useful? An article that is just littered with links is not particularly um, useful, but um, it, it, if one has, you know, if, if you're finding that you're, you're there's something you're only touching upon briefly, um, but you think your readers might want to know more information, then yes, it would be great to, to maybe have a link out to something on that. And if you are linking as well, um, think about the text that you're using to link from make sure the text is relevant clear that people can tell what they're going to get from that link text not just a click here um but actually describes where they're going to go to so they they know before they click on it whether or not it's valuable or not mm -hmm. okay that, that's great thanks laura uh, um so uh, that brings us uh, to the end of of uh, today's webinar laura thanks again that was a a, a really a great presentation and a, a an excellent discussion and uh, finally thanks to you the audience uh, for taking the time to attend and listen in please remember to visit the uh, bite-sized bio science writer academy at sciencewriteracademy.bitesizebio.com and uh, so until next time good luck in your writing and goodbye from all of us at Bitesize Bio and the Science Writer Academy. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Listen In from Bitesize Bio. To view the full presentation of this webinar or to browse the Listen In series, please see the episode description for links. Finding the right mentor can make all the difference in your research journey. But what if you don't have one? Look no further than Mentors at Your Benchside, the podcast that offers curated advice from experienced researchers on lab skills, techniques, and career progression. With short, easy-to-access episodes, you can get the help you need to succeed in the lab. Visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for Mentors at Your Benchside in your podcast app to subscribe and get help and advice from seasoned scientists.